Hey, welcome back to the Uncooked Rice Show. This is season two, episode two, episode two, episode two. And today I'm with Maggie. Maggie, do you want to give yourself a little introduction? Yeah. Um, hi, everyone. So I'm Maggie. Um, I'm currently a first year student at McGill University, but I'm still here in Richmond, British Columbia. Um, I'm like my parents are immigrants from China here. And um, yeah, I've spent 18 years here. Okay, lovely. So Maggie, um, you're a first year at McGill, right, right now? Yeah. So how's that been, especially with like quarantine and online school? Um, you know, it's been a really interesting experience. I think I definitely was not excited for it right off the bat when they said it was going to be online. Um, I was pretty upset about it, but I think that, you know, in the way that it's turned out, it's actually pretty good. And if anything, right now is the best time for us to have online school, just because I feel like, you know, everybody has social media, everybody has all these technologies. So it's actually really easy to connect with people much easier than it was before. So I think it's pretty good considering the circumstances of everything. Okay, that's pretty good. That's a very positive, I guess, outlook on the current situation. Because uh, I know a lot of my friends, and I think myself included, have found online school to be quite draining. Yeah, for um, sure. Definitely right. So uh, do you are you excited to go back to actually be on campus next year? Hopefully? Yeah, for sure. And I think it's really funny considering like, you know, I actually haven't been on the campus yet or in the city. And that's something that everybody says it's an important part of the university experience. So I'm really holding on to that. Um, I'm hoping that everything can get better soon and we can return back to normal. So Maggie, um, the reason why I wanted you as a guest on this show is because um, you've done something that I think no other friend of mine has actually done, um, which is you've written a book and you've actually published it, right? And so um, the, I guess the topic of your book and the theme of your book is something that uh, is really, I guess, really fits well with the theme of this podcast, um, The Uncooked Rice Show. And so on this podcast, like I started it as to explore and share the stories of other Gen Z Asian Americans, right? And with the idea of Asian Americans, there's always this I guess, fear or this conflict between trying to balance, you know, um, your life in Canadian culture, your life in Western culture, as well as your life in Chinese tradition, mm -hmm. right? So you touch a bit upon that in your book, but I was just wondering for your life experiences right now, like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I think this year has been really a reflection year for me, you know, growing up and being born here in Vancouver. Um, I had this really strong mindset that I was Canadian and I didn't really have a connection with that kind of Chinese culture and Chinese heritage of mine for a really long time. And I didn't really see much of it. And I think that the whole reason, you know, coronavirus started and there was a lot of attention and media news around China and how they were handling it. And that's when I kind of had to step back and think about, you know, really what is my connection to my family back in China and what is my connection to the culture? Because obviously at first when um, the coronavirus first started, there was a lot of negative attention. You know, there was a lot of racial discrimination that I was seeing online because um, the province of Hubei is also where I'm from is where the virus originated from. Mm -hmm. And I kind of felt this, you know, 
this kind of sense of disconnect because I felt really bad for all my family who was struggling back there. But then, you know, I'm very much part of this Canadian and Western culture where everybody was almost attacking that Chinese culture. And I kind of felt my, I found myself in the middle of it. And so through writing this book, I was hoping to kind of reflect for myself to see where do I really stand in between these two different cultures. And so that's why I'm still trying to learn. I'm still trying to see, you know, where I fit in and trying to um, get the best of both worlds, essentially. Maggie, your book is called Trekking the Pacific, the Cornerstone of Two Cultures. Um, I bought it off Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. My um, number one customer. <laughs> Great. Um, it, but no, it was cool because um, I don't know how I found out, but I think it was just on Instagram. And then I realized you had a book and I was like, what the fuck? Um, like, because I you don't hear a lot of 18 year olds publishing their own books, right? Yeah. And so I was like, what the fuck is this shit? Um, like, what have I been doing my whole life? Um, but can you talk us, a, talk us through a bit about like the process of getting your own book published? Like, was it hard? Was it easier than it seems or what was that like um for sure a lot easier than it seems um so amazon essentially has this program where you can self-publish for free obviously they take care of a lot of the handling and printing of everything but they do take um like printing fees and that but it's super simple and you know for me like a part of why i wanted to publish through that was because of how easy it was and I myself wasn't really looking to make money off of it or something. Um, and, you know, people I've talked to before, I've told them before that I had no intentions to publish it at first, that it was actually more kind of just for myself. And I had all this writing and all this thoughts down. And eventually I thought that I wanted to share it with people. I wanted to share it with my friends and my family. And that's why I decided to publish it. But yeah, the process is super simple. Um, I think it took me about kind of just a month or so of really writing, editing, um, taking down my own thoughts and going through everything. And the uploading process for it was super simple. And then once it's up there, you know, Amazon takes care of everything. So yeah, I, I thought it was a pretty simple process. Yeah. Okay. And so for like going back to this idea of, um, I guess, trying to find that balance between two cultures, like, for you, I know you've mentioned it earlier on a bit, but for you, like, do you think you're, you're definitely still on that journey, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think especially, you know, that I've grown up so many years here in Canada, it's hard for me to really find that connection to China and to that culture back there. And that's why I'm still trying to learn and I'm still trying to take advantage of every opportunity I get to visit the culture and visit my family because I know that's all going to help me find that balance of both cultures. Right. And so for me personally, like I moved here when I was, I think, three years old with my parents. Um, and for most of my life, I've grew up, grown up in Richmond. Um, but for me, it's always been like um, I was more closely connected to this weird mix between the two, because on one hand, I was surrounded by, you know, people who are third generation immigrants um, or second generation immigrants who, you know, whose parents have already been here in Canada for a long while, right? So they were pretty much westernized from the most part. But on the other hand, at back at home, it was just Chinese tradition, right? It was Chinese school, fuck that. Um, and it was like piano lessons. Um, it was just, you know, stereotypical Chinese things, um, you know, trying to be good at math. Uh, but 
for you, I was wondering, like, um, growing, because you grew up in, here in Vancouver and Richmond, right? Um, did you ever have that harsher conflict of, like, knowing that, oh, there's this, like, one side that's really Chinese or the other side that's really Canadian? Like, was there a blend or was there just, like, a distinct separation? Yeah, no, for sure. I think I think my experiences are really similar in the sense that, you know, I did the typical Chinese school piano. And I think that's part of the reason why I didn't like kind of the Chinese culture at first, because I thought that's what it was. It was a super strict, you know, um, super rigid. You have to finish this. You have to do this. But um, I'm also really thankful for those experiences, I guess, because it's kind of allowed me to really appreciate the Canadian culture a lot more. That makes sense, because through that, I knew that, um, you know, I really didn't like learning Chinese, the language and like piano, even though it was the stereotypical Chinese thing to do, I didn't really like it either. And that's kind of how I found my passion, other more like westernized, I guess, um, activities such as playing sports, you know, volunteering, all those things. And so that's kind of what transitioned me into being more westernized. But I think that as I'm growing up now, I'm kind of, you know, taking a step back and reconnecting with those roots, those Chinese roots. Right. And so, like, looking back, I guess, would you say that you're uh, thankful for having participated in, like, Chinese school and piano lessons? Yeah, for sure. I think because it's also, it builds into the idea of, like, you know what you like when you do something you don't like. Because through doing those, I knew that, you know, for sure, piano, Chinese school, this wasn't something that I wanted to do. And then through that, I found new activities that I really wanted to do. And I built upon that. So you're going to Sciences for University, right? But you've clearly, I guess, um, demonstrated that you have this love, I guess, a bit of passion for writing and journalism as well. Um, I guess in that sense, like, um, have you ever had, I guess, a conflict between those two? Like deciding that, like, why was it that you wanted to go in sciences and not, I guess, pursue something more along the writing aspect of your life? Yeah, um, you know, part of the reason why I like writing so much was because when I was super young, um, my parents pushed me into journaling every day. They told me from a young age that I had to journal every day. I had to document um, everything I did. And so through that, I would write every day. And eventually that carried on into high school where I did enjoy writing and I did enjoy a lot of personal reflective writing. Um, But I think for me, I've always seen writing as kind of more of a, a hobby to me because I use kind of my writing almost as a diary and as a journal. I don't see it as something that I can, you know, build off more on. It's more just for my own personal use and my own personal reflection. Whereas sciences, um, I've always been interested in it. Um, I have a lot of passion in it and I've done various projects throughout the year and it's something that I've always wanted to pursue. So yeah, that's where I'm hoping, but at the same time, I genuinely feel that like in university, things can change. You know, I could do three years of science and realize that I really don't like it and have to redo something else. But yeah, it's definitely something that I'm hoping to pursue in the future, but I know that there's going to be changes along the way. So for now though, um, what specifically in the sciences that did you want to pursue, do you think? Um, I kind of wanted to do a joint major between computer science and biology and so this would essentially lead me into like bioinformatics where it's like analyzing cells using kind of computer and technology and that's where I'm hoping to head okay 
Um, have you ever talked to your parents about your, I guess, career path or university path? Yeah, um, I think my parents, they're, they're different because they're really open. They told me that, you know, I can do whatever I want, whether that be music or science um, or writing. And um, yeah, I've, I've always seen them as super supportive. So they were always happy with whatever decision I made. And okay. obviously science, yeah, they love that. <laughs> and so your parents moved here with your sister, right, um, before you were born. And I was wondering uh, if you can remember, because for my personal, and I'll share a bit about my personal experiences too uh, later, but I was wondering for you, did you see a change in your parents, I guess, in their views um, growing up? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think because here in our Western culture, it's much more, you know, open conversation um, everybody is very open with each other. And I think they're also learning to be like that as well. I think back in China, there's, it's much more strict. It's much more, you know, everything is scheduled. And then here they're learning to be much more looser, I guess, and really opening up to different people, having conversations with people, you know, of different backgrounds, of different races. And yeah, I think that they've definitely grown just as much as, you know, I've grown throughout these years. Great. And yeah, so I, um, for me, it was like, I moved here with my parents, right? And both of us, I guess, well, both of us, but like both my parents and I, we've both had to adjust to this new environment, this new culture, definitely. And I think at times, and I haven't realized this until actually recently, but I think at times my parents definitely had it, I guess, harder than I did. Um, because they didn't have, they didn't get to go through the opportunity of going through school where they learned English and like, um, learned, I guess the social norms, right? So they had to pick it up by themselves, either through interactions with, you know, everyday people or just the community around them. Right. Um, but for me, I've definitely seen like a distinct, uh, change, I guess, in their outlook on life because, um, I have a little sister. She's four years younger than me. Oh, that's uh, so cute. <laughs> she's, yeah, she's, uh, she's in high school net right now at Season London. But um, for me, it was like, I, there was a time in my life where I noticed that um, the way that my parents used to treat me or like the way they sort of, I guess, looked at life um, in the sense that they were very strict, very traditional, right? Um, oftentimes a bit closed-minded in the sense of tradition. But nowadays, when I look at the way they treat my sister and the treat they treat me now, it's like they have become more open-minded. And I think it's definitely due to the part of being more, I guess, um, interactive with the Western society that they lived in for so long now, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to ask you, Maggie, um, for you, was there, like, what... Did you have the, ever have the experience or the opportunity to connect with, um, I guess, other people with the same, I guess, dilemma as you in high school? Um, definitely, for sure. I think that, you know, living in Richmond, we all know that it's mainly um, Chinese dominated here, Asian dominated. Yes, it's the most populated Asian city in North America. So, um, yeah, obviously, I... I know a lot of people who have similar stories as mine, you know, who have the same journey, but I think it's also a conversation that we don't bring up too often. You know, it's not something we get very candid about personally, but I definitely do know that there are people with similar stories, I think. Right. And um, I guess recently, have you had conversations with people who are, I guess, trying to find a balance or like trying to reconnect with their culture? Yeah, for sure. Um, 
after I kind of wrote the book and it was out there, um, there was this one friend I had who we kind of had a conversation and it was really interesting because she was sharing that, yeah, I've had really similar experiences as you. And, you know, I never really thought about it, but when it's there and down on paper and I read about it, I'm like, oh yeah, that's exactly what I've been through. And so that's kind of, I guess, part of the reason why I wanted to share my story with everyone, because I know everybody has similar or different stories, but it's all part of recognizing the journey. That's the most important part and reflecting on it and how that reflection can make you a better person every day. Right. And I totally agree with you. It's like um, definitely the experience, the individual experiences and I guess um, are just completely different. And like, there's no similarity. There's no um, like exact same experience that uh, two Asian Americans can have. Right. But definitely I think the similarity lies in the fact that we grew up as Asian Americans and we are going through this journey. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, And I wanted to ask too, it's like for you, um, cause this is definitely a conflict and a dilemma for most people where they have to, I get, I think for a, a lot of Asian Americans, especially born in Canada or like the States, it's like, um, you grow up, I guess, part of you disliking the fact that you're Chinese. Right. And then I think only later on, once you begin to mature and once you realize that, um, there, this culture isn't something that you should be hating on. Right. Um, do you realize that you really want to get more connected or reconnect with that? So it's wondering for yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like spot on. That's exactly what I was thinking. It's, you know, when we're younger, it's very much kind of the opposite of what we are now, where it's, we're trying to push away one thing and we're trying to adapt and become more westernized and fit into the norm that is, uh, you know, Canadian culture. But now as we get older, we kind of recognize more how important, you know, our our other culture as our Asian culture is. And that's why I, I was thinking it's such um, a good idea that you started like a podcast like this, because I think that, you know, sharing everybody's stories is what's part of connecting everybody together. And so I'm going to lead on to a little bit of a different topic, but it's sort of the similar, but in the sense that for me, I'll start with my own personal experiences. For me, it wasn't until I started doing more leadership experiences in high school um, where I started connecting with more individuals and started learning about the idea of diversity. Um, I think this was like around late grade 10, early grade 11, um, where I just began to put in myself into more leadership positions, became more comfortable with who I was and my identity. Um, did I realize that there is a major issue with not having enough Asian representation just anywhere, right? And uh, I, I, I'll refine that to like Asian American, Asian American representation, because even though we were in Richmond, there were obviously a lot of Asians everywhere. Um, but there were a lot of Asians that didn't really appreciate the Asian identity. So it wasn't until me being comfortable with myself and my identity that I realized that this was something that was important to me that I wanted to reconnect with. And so I was wondering for you, was there a, a specific point in time or was there like collections of points in time where you realize that, oh, this is something that, you know, I want to reconnect with. Like Asian culture is something that I shouldn't have pushed away and I should try to reconnect with. Yeah, for sure. Um, I would say it was around a few years ago, around 2017 or 2018. 
yeah, I think it was 2017. Um, I went back to China for the summer. And usually when I go back to China, you know, it's the typical, I'll be super polite. I'll say hi to my aunts, my uncles. I'll just, I'll be shy. I'll hide behind my parents, <laughs> especially when I'm young, right? Yeah. But yeah, so that was a, the first year where I went, where um, it was just me and my mom. And then there was a few days when my mom, she had like um, a meeting with somebody or she wanted to, I forgot what it was, but she had to meet somebody. So I was left there with, you know, my aunts and my uncles and my grandparents. And uh, that was the first time that I really started to connect with them, you know, because I actually had to speak the Chinese language to them because I didn't have anyone else there to translate to me or to convey my message. And so through kind of connecting with them and actually sitting down and having a conversation with just those people and nobody else, um, it was really, you know, eye-opening to me. I realized how much, oh, wow, like these people are important to me. These people are my family, you know, but yet in the past, I've treated them like they're strangers. And then I think from that moment on, I really realized like how important my side of that family was, the, the Asian side of that family who were living in China. And I really wanted to not only reconnect with them, but, you know, reconnect with their own traditions and their culture as well. Right. So yeah, definitely from that point, I think. How often would you say you visit your family in China? I usually go um, around every other year. So yeah, for me, it's like I manage, I'm lucky enough to be able to visit almost like every summer. Oh, um, that's amazing. Yeah, I know. But because I'm from Taiwan, right? So um, but for me, it's always been like, it's only like roughly two months, maybe usually even less like one month where I do get to see my family in Taiwan. But for the rest of the year, the rest of like the 10 to 11 months of the year, I'm stuck away from them. And so it goes to the same, it, it has that saying like out of sight, out of mind, right? Um, and so I was wondering for you, um, beyond like the, I guess the regular, the classic greeting, um, and then shy away, back away to the corner. Um, but has language been like a sort of barrier to understanding your culture for you? Yeah, for sure. Um, and then it's funny because, you know, I always talk about how much I hate Chinese school. But like the thing I realized that year was if I had not taken Chinese school, like I wouldn't know what to say because I only knew the basic things. And those were all learned from Chinese school because I grew up here and I was born here. But yeah, definitely language is such a big barrier, I think, these days, especially for a lot of kids who are born here and they don't really try to learn the Chinese language. Um, you're never going to be able to truly connect with someone if you're not able to speak the same language, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, definitely language was a big barrier, but it's funny because, you know, like um, my family back home, they always make fun of my accent because I'm, I kind of have that, you know, Canadian, Chinese, where I lose that, that really Intonation. authentic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, for sure. But I think it's also them, they understand, you know, that I'm from Canada, I'm still learning and we have a good laugh about it. So, yeah. Have you, I guess, cause you've done a bunch of leadership experiences yeah. uh, in high school, right? Rich City Idol. Rich City yeah, woo! Um, but you've also done a bunch at school too, right? Um, and so I was wondering for you, like, has your journey in sort of uh, being more developed in these leadership positions and sort of developing your own leadership identity, has that sort of strengthened your desire to, I guess, increase your other parts of your identity? Does that make sense? 
Yeah, for sure. I think because when you kind of take on leadership roles, you you have the sense of responsibility and you kind of have the sense of, I guess, reflection of, you know, who you want to be as a leader, but also as a person and an individual. And so that kind of connects to how as an individual, I want to be someone that appreciates, you know, um, my time here in Canada, but also the traditions and the foundation that I was raised upon um, with my traditions back in China. So definitely taking on leadership roles wants you to become a better person yourself and to become a more progressive person and to improve yourself in a way. Um, have you ever had to deal with, I guess, um, racism? Um, I would say definitely not personally like I've never had anybody you know personally take a jab at me but I think these days social media and the media really defines kind of our outlook and what we see so I think I take it really personal when I see you know things online that include racial discrimination towards Asians and you know that's something that really um, hits home for me so yeah. yeah yeah no I've had a few moments or incidents I guess is where um, old white males have oh, wow. ye- have yelled um, go back to China to me um, and I think for some reason it's been like a defining moment in my career like you really know you've become Asian when like a like an old white man yells at go back to China to you right um, yeah oh wait no, no no there was this one time that I forgot what it was but it was on some type of like photo or something it was a f- group photo or a photo of me and then somebody commented like go back to Taiwan and then I was like, okay, first of all, I'm not even from there. But second of all, why would you comment that? It's just like those little things, yeah. Right, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, but that's weird. Why would they say go back to Taiwan? Yeah, like, it's not even where I'm from, but also, <laughs> why was that necessary? Yeah, um, but it's like these, they, I guess these racial, like, uh, I don't want to say racial discrimination, like these acts of racial discrimination that really... I think pushes a lot of Asian Americans away from trying to reconnect with their Asian identity, right? Yeah. Because I know for me, when growing up in elementary school, it was like having certain foods or bringing certain foods into class would always elicit undesirable responses. Um, like, I don't know if you've had the same experience, but a lot of, you know, like when I first brought in a few different types of like West Asian cuisine, there'd always be comments like, oh, why does that smell so bad? Like, uh, do you know what I mean? Um, like, like you bring in like a big plate of dumplings and somebody's like, why does it smell like that? Yeah, exactly. And so like, it's like these small things that don't seem very hurtful that over time, I think, especially as a child, right, um, where you are still struggling with identity um, that really push you, push Asian Americans away from, I guess, wanting to be Asian, right? Because I know for a long period of time, I was like, I wish I was white. I hate being, you know, yellow. Um why are my why did my parents have to you know like raise me like this you know um but for you like do you have any advice on how you would i guess approach kids who are feeling that way now um i think for those kids you have to really take it one step at a time you know um every with everything in life it's going to be hard adjusting to a new culture and a new lifestyle is always going to be hard but it's really about taking it one day at a time um, taking the opportunity to step back and really kind of look at yourself and think you know what 
like who am I and what am I really raised upon? And it's about your values and it's about your morals much more than it is about your skin color and your race. So I think for those young kids, they have to realize that, you know, with everything in life, there's progress and you have to take everything as it is and improve from it one day at a time. And so that's, I guess, how individuals can approach it. But I was wondering, do you have, because I know you talked a bit about this in, in your book, but from your, I guess, experiences what do you think society can do to better improve this um dislike of being asian i think you know society we really um like i i hate to say it, but it's we need more asian representation and you know just the media we need it in movies and music and everything because i think it's really funny that even these days when there's a movie with an asian um main character that's their like whole cell. It's, um, oh, watch this movie. It's the first, you know, major motion picture with an Asian cast or something. When that's, you know, that's not necessary if we've always had Asians in the past. That's why we need more Asians because we shouldn't need to say like, oh, look at this is the first film with an Asian um, main character. Like we should always be looking to include Asians in the media and you know, movies, shows, everything. Right. And I think definitely it's not just having an Asian actor or actress on screen, right? It's definitely having them behind the screen too, right? You know, um, uh, did you watch the new Mulan? Oh, yes, I did. Did What are your thoughts on it? Um, like, obviously, I like the, the cartoon a lot more. Um, and obviously, I know there was a lot of controversy surrounding it as well with everything. But it's interesting because, yeah, it's interesting because it's not really, you know, what I expected of it. Um, like, how did you feel about it? I thought it was a white man's Chinese film. <laughs> yeah, okay, I that's <laughs> okay. I, I wanted to say that, but like, I wasn't sure if I should say that. But yeah, essentially, that's what um, I meant. Like, the cartoon was so much better. It was so much more kind of true to the culture as well. Yeah. And this one, like you were saying, it's much more whitewashed, I guess. It was, yeah. Which is weird because like they sort of acted on the whole idea like they tried to sell it as like the most Asian, you know, representation movie out there, right? It was weird. Um, it it wasn't. Yeah, it was like beyond like the whole like I guess story plot of it. Like, um, because story wise, it was just really bad because there's no character development. But I think if we look at it in terms of um Asian representation and what that means for the movie, um, if you look at the cast, yes, there's a lot of Asians cast, right? But if you look at the behind-the-scenes cast, you look at the directors, you look at the costume designer, it's all white people, right? And so you, it makes you wonder, like, what's going on through their minds? like Exactly. Right. It, it's funny because it's like they're writing this whole thing about Chinese culture and about Chinese tradition. And they're all like, yeah, it's so true to, you know, what it really is. And then the entire behind the scenes is all white people like for sure you guys would know yeah and it's like uh, I, it's just so much emphasis on honor like what was that going on in the movie right yeah exactly um and I, so going back to the point what you said earlier when you first answered the question it's like the whole idea shouldn't be that this character or this movie is you know asian like that shouldn't be their selling point right exactly um it should be a, like a trait that oh they're asian but the whole idea of the movie is that it's supposed to symbolize 
yada 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 or like this character is brave strong blah 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 that sort of thing who just also happens to be asian yeah because like nowadays you know whenever a movie comes out we don't go oh there's a white male lead in that movie you should definitely go see that that's never the selling point but it seems to always be the selling point for any you know movie with asian representation in it and i think um because i know there are a few more movies coming out with asian representation um definitely like uh the new marvel movie with uh simu liu oh yeah i saw the trailer for that one yes um and then so we also have shows going on like kim's convenience right yeah i've seen that as well um and so these shows that uh i guess a lot of the times are like they scream like asian characters asian casts um which i guess is a bad part but i think to be able to gain traction i think we have to start somewhere right yeah like and that's what i'm hoping obviously over time that you know we don't have to use asians as the selling point of a story or a show anymore that they can just be integrated into you know the mainstream hollywood did you watch avatar the last airbender growing up um the i i saw the um what is it like the live action okay you know what we're not gonna talk about it It doesn't exist um i know i knew you were gonna say that anytime (laughs) i say i've seen the live action only they're just like okay we're we're not talking about that (laughs) yeah but um because i guess the live action was like a really harmful depiction of asian representation um uh i don't know if you read about it much into it but for me it was like it was like there's so much whitewashing um, so much different cultural appropriations. Um, and I think it was just really infuriating for people. But I guess going off of that, like, um, did you grow up with watching like any Asian representation in media? Um, yeah, that's the thing, because I feel like part of the reason, you know, why I didn't really understand my Chinese culture a lot growing up was because I really just watched you know, super whitewashed films, shows, you know, the classic Disney movies and everything. And I think that's kind of contributed to the reason why I had this conflict, which is, yeah. And like you were saying, I, I've never seen the last um, Airbender growing up. But yeah, no, I know what you mean. It's like, for me, I didn't also, I haven't actually watched, I didn't grow up watching any Asian representation in media. Like if I did, it was always like stereotypical Chinese people with like the rice hat and like buck teeth and like slanted eyes right um and so for me growing up that was harmful to me because in shows and films uh just in media in general it would always be like the main character is this dashing white blonde or brunette kind of guy um and if there was an Asian character it would always be like a side character or somebody who's not depicted as strong or brave or like main character type right Especially, and like for the Asian characters, they always like to, um, not only the side character, but it's also like the super nerdy side character is what I've seen a lot as well. Yes, and so it goes back to this whole idea of like um, Asians, like that model minority myth, right? Where Asians are smart, Asians are successful, right? Um, Do you think, like going off that topic, and do you think you've had to struggle with that myth growing up? Um, Yeah, for sure. I definitely think so. Um, It... The, the whole like, you know, Asians are smart thing is definitely something that I feel like I've experienced a lot. It's kind of that pressure that, you know, um, the Asians should always be smarter than everybody else when that's not necessarily true. And I've also seen like other people kind of crush under that pressure where, you know, they're Asian and everybody expects them to be super smart. Their parents expect a lot out of, the, 
a lot out of them. But, you know, when they aren't able to deliver, they kind of feel very upset when they shouldn't be, if that right. makes sense. It's just a lot of pressure, I think, added pressure, right? Yeah. And that comes from, like, you know, the media as well, because we see Asians represented in this way as the super smart characters. And so that it kind of creates this, you know, stereotypical um, character that we want to live or we feel like we have to live no, I totally get that. It's like, it's just, you know, some of it is rooted in truth. Like, definitely, I think a lot of Asian parents do want their children to be successful. But like, that's the, that's the same for every parent, I feel like, right? Or, but I think just the added pressure of like, you know, Asians always need to get A's. Like, you know, um, what's like the grading, the Asian grading skill where A is average, B is like, what is it? Um, B is like... Uh, I for, I forgot, but one of them was like, "Don't oh, come D, home." Yeah, D, D was doing... "Don't come home" or something. Yeah, yeah. that's the one uh, I remember. <laughs> that's the yeah, but it's like this fear of like not living up to I guess your full potential. When in reality, your full potential, your quote unquote full potential, is based off of stereotypical lies, essentially, right? Like your full potential is like you know, it's based on yourself. It doesn't have anything to do with your race or your background. Right. It's what you make out of your own opportunities. Right. So going forward, Mikey, like, how are you continuing to find this balance between your two cultures? Um, for sure, visiting um, my home country a lot. That's something that, you know, I really want to do after this whole pandemic is over. I think being able to really reconnect with that root um, act by actually seeing people is very useful. And also just continuing to write. I talked a lot about how writing is something that really allows me to reflect a lot, a lot more than just, you know, thinking on my own. And so, yeah, I want to continue to write. I want to continue to talk to different people, get different perspectives and like grow from that. I definitely think, um, uh, like this, this might be my own input, but I definitely think like for me personally, it has helped uh, me discover and I guess strengthen my own racial identity by talking to other Asian Americans and other Asians in my community and my network because um, it's good it's nice to know that I'm not alone in how I feel definitely my feelings aren't something that's just you know one of a kind right that's why I think this podcast you know just I like listening to your other episodes it's really helped me as well just seeing all these different people and they're different stories but somehow they're also similar in ways it's a weird i guess thing right where yes it's different but yes it's also similar and it's just it's i guess enlightening or inspiring to be able to hear them right yeah for sure and so maggie uh i guess this is a question that we're going to ask all our guests in season two but what are you hopeful for in the future um i'm hopeful for you know a society that's just connected in every single way possible um I know there's, it's going to take a lot to have that, but that's something I look forward to the day when, you know, everybody is connected, no matter their race, no matter, you know, their gender, their sexuality, anything, um, that everybody is just one. Perfect. That's a beautiful answer, Maggie. So how can people find you on the internet? How can they stalk you and hunt you down and find your book online too? Um, yeah, so you can find my book online. Um, it's called Trekking the Pacific, the Cornerstone of Two Cultures. You can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at Maggie Shong. So it's Maggie and then X-I-O-N-G. And yeah. Perfect. All right. Thank you for your time, Maggie. Thank you. Thank you.